me ask you a question. When you think of contentment, what comes to your mind? If you were to close your eyes and to think about those moments when you've been most content or what would need to change right now for you to be content, what pops into your mind? I'm not going to lie, when I do that, something like this pops into my mind. <laughs> a nice beach somewhere where I can sit there and feel the gentle breeze blowing across my face, stick my feet in the water, watch the sunset, and just let all my worries and concerns just melt away. That's what I think of when I think about contentment. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe, maybe it's having early retirement or just a cushy bank account. Maybe it's having the perfect relationship, perfect family, or maybe creating that perfect piece of art, or, or maybe going viral and becoming famous. What, what is it for you when you think about contentment, when you can kind of go, isn't that nice? Well, if this is my idea of contentment, you can probably imagine that I'm not content very much because I'm not at this place very often. But I want to ask you this question. What if it's possible to have contentment even in the midst of the worries of life, unfulfilled desires, and even shattered dreams? I think probably most of us would say, no, that's not possible. But I'm asking the question because we're looking at a passage from the Apostle Paul who is now um, about four years in chains for Christ as he writes to his friends living in Philippi. And he's been talking to them about knowing this peace of God which surpasses all understanding that can guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and this God of peace who is, who is with us. And the passage we're going to look at today, he's going to talk about contentment. And what we're going to find out is it has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has nothing to do with our situations that we find ourselves in. It has nothing to do with beaches. It has nothing to do with retirement accounts. It has nothing to do with passing that class, getting that job. So we're going to look at this, <laughs> this passage today, so simply calling our study today The Secret of Contentment. And so as we get ready to, to turn the corner here in this book, as he, he begins to wrap things up, we're looking at some of the final words of the Apostle Paul, both this week and next week, as he writes to his friends in Philippi. And so he says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here he says he rejoices in the Lord greatly. This is a thing that is run throughout this letter. I mean, all the way back from the very beginning introduction, he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always and every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. All throughout this letter, Paul has been talking about joy. And so he's talking about it once again and says he rejoices greatly in the Lord. Now at length, that you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. He's talking about the gift that one of the people from Philippi has brought to him. As you may recall, in prison in Rome, you had to rely on other people to provide for you because they didn't give you food and drink. You're at the, the mercy and kindness of friends and, and maybe even strangers. And so he's received a gift from them, and he's rejoicing in the Lord greatly that they revived their concern for him. And as he says that, he's like, maybe that's not the exact best way to put it. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
And it may be because they didn't know exactly where Paul was. Remember, they had supported him earlier in his ministry, and perhaps they didn't have opportunity to to show concern for him because they didn't know where he was. And now they found out that he was in prison, they were able to send a gift. Or it might be that they were under such um, extremes in terms of their own capacity to give that they weren't able to. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is, is raising money from different churches to help people who are experiencing famine in Jerusalem. And he says this, he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember, Philippi was the first city in Macedonia to have a church. So Paul is writing to Corinthians and says, I want to let you know about the grace that's been given to all those churches, including the church in Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Some six years earlier than the letter he wrote to the Philippians, he talks about the extreme poverty that these Christians in Philippi in the surrounding areas of Macedonia were experiencing. No doubt because they are following Jesus. And so maybe it was because of their extreme poverty they weren't able to give. And Paul says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, which is an interesting thing for him to say, isn't it? Because on one level, he is in need. He's dependent on the goodness and kindness of other people to provide the basics for him. But he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be content. I'm sorry, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Here's the reason why he's not rejoicing, because he was once in need and now is no longer in need. He's rejoicing because he has learned that in whatever situation that he is, to be content. And so this is an important point I want us to dial in on, my friends. Paul is wanting to clarify that he is not rejoicing because he was in need, and now he is not. Rather, he's speaking about a rejoicing that transcends any given situation. Remember, just earlier in this same chapter, he talked about rejoicing in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I love the way that Eugene Peterson and his book, The Message, paraphrase what Paul is saying here. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. Let me ask you this question. How many of us can honestly say that we have learned to be quite content, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in? I don't know about you, but I feel like I fail that all the time. And the reason why is because there's this issue of grumbling and complaining. (laughs) Do you ever grumble and complain? That would be an indication that you're not content. In fact, as as I look about my own life and interact with the lives of other people who follow Jesus, I I find that the contentment really is is very rare. You You would think if we follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, to learn to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in, that this would be something that flourishes among us. There was a, a Puritan by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs who uh, wrote this book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. He calls it a rare jewel. And this is an amazing book, by the way. He spends about 278 pages in my edition just meditating on that one verse. I've learned to be content in any situation. Why is it so rare this jewel of Christian contentment? Why is it rare in your life 
Why is it rare in my life? Paul goes on in verse 12 and says this, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Manny, I'm going to need you to maybe forward. Okay, my iPad froze up there. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And what's interesting here is, I think he's, when he talks about being brought low, there's, there's a certain sense of, of humility or, or maybe even humiliation that is involved in this. It's like he's saying, I've, I know how to be content when I, I'm humbled and don't have much, and I know how to be content when I'm well supplied. And then he says this, in any in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What an amazing declaration. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. How did he learn that? I want to suggest to you, my friends, the only way he learned that is by going through a lot of things he would rather not have gone through and having to learn how to trust Christ in the midst of it. For example, in the book of Corinthians, he tells them, um, these these Corinthian Christians who are are wanting to boast in in things that are kind of glorious about our accomplishments. And they're wanting to follow teachers who who are great and eloquent and have everything together. And Paul puts himself in as a contrast. He says, to this present hour, we hunger and thirst... We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. A little bit later he'll say, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. (laughs) Then in chapter 11 he says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from uh, from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." The Apostle Paul has been through the ringer. He has experienced far more difficulties than probably all of us in this room have put together as we seek to follow Jesus. And yet he can say, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In any and every situation, I have learned the secret. Now someone says, either prison is getting to this guy, he's talking crazy, or he, really, or he has really found some kind of secret to being content that I know absolutely nothing about. I mean, as you listen to what Paul said, and as you realize he's sitting in prison now four years in chains for Christ, and he says he's content? Paul, wouldn't you be content if you were able to sit out by the Mediterranean Sea and watch the sunset? He's like, I, I'm content right now. What is that secret? I like what Dennis Johnson said in his commentary on this letter. He said, Paul reduces things to bare essentials, to the questions of whether there is food on the table. In effect, Paul says, I can be stuffed or starved. Either way, I'm content. 
And when I hear Paul say he can respond to near starvation without resenting God's providence or envying the well-fed, I'm embarrassed by how little it takes to settle my contentment. Let me tell you about how I realized how embarrassed I was and how easily I am unsettled by my, with my contentment. I was working on this passage this last week, and uh, Heather came home in the evening. She says, well, how was your day? And I said, well, I've been repenting all day long. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, all that stuff we went through this last month, I base my contentment on everything that is wrong. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you've known because I've shared some of this because it's been really hard to go through. But it all started um, back when my wife walked into the garage and she said, we just got a tax bill for $3,800 that we need to pay. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, let's pay it. And she said, you handled that better than I thought. I'm like, well, you know, by God's grace, we have the money in the bank account to, to absorb this. She said, okay, well, good, let's do this. The next week, my wife was driving home from South College Station, ha having hung out with some of you there at a, at a restaurant, and on the way back through our neighborhood, the car stopped completely. <laughs> and she started and stopped, and, and I got it back to the house, and when I was looking at it, toying with it, looking under the hood, pretending like I know anything about cars, <laughs> I got back in, and I, I got it started, and I, I crept that car half a mile to my nearest mechanic. And um, after 18 days at the shop, we had to fork out $5,500 for a brand new transmission. And I was like, oh, Lord. And then last week, our AC in the attic upstairs began leaking. How do we know it was leaking? Because there was a, a stain in the ceiling Jason told me about when he was home one time. And I go up there and I look and it's a lot bigger and so we called our warranty company, they sent a guy out, and he said, it's going to cost $5,500 to repair this. And um, the insurance, or the, rather the warranty company said they weren't going to do it. And so um, I set up, I appealed it, I set up an appointment to, to have a, a conversation with my case manager on that. They didn't show up to that appointment. And so I'm just like, oh, Lord, what in the world? How am I supposed to absorb $15,000 in three weeks? I can't do that. Life is terrible. I'm miserable. I'm listening to too much blues music. I'm embarrassed by how easily I can become unsettled in my contentment. But Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He learns the secret. That word, that phrase, is, is actually one word in the original language. And it carries this idea of, of being initiated or instructed into sacred mysteries. In effect, Paul is saying, I've been initiated into, I've been instructed in the sacred mystery of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, Paul is saying there is a sacred mystery, kind of like a code to be cracked, that once known and put into practice, unleashes the secret to being content in any and every situation. So someone says, 
So what is the secret? I would very much like to know. Wouldn't she? All right, well, Paul lets us know. Verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is Paul's secret. This is his introduction to the sacred mystery of being content. Now, I remember when I first came across this verse, I was a young Christian in high school, and um, I was um, at a Christian bookstore, and I saw this little plaque that had a baseball player, and it had this verse with it. I, I went to see if I could Google that image. I couldn't find it, but I found lots of other images, and so this is one like it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and as you can see here, you have the threads of the, the baseball on that. And so my young days as follower of Jesus, I saw this verse, and for me, I was playing baseball at the time, and I was like, what Jesus can help me do is to get a home run every time I'm up at bat. And so I go to bat, and I didn't hit a home run. I'm like, oh, why is this not working? <laughs> and so does this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mean that we can run faster than a speeding bullet, that we can be more powerful than a locomotive, that we can leap tall buildings in a single bound? Does it mean that we can, we can do impossibly superhuman things? No, it doesn't. The context here is being content and being content in Christ. Notice what he says here. I can do all things through whom who strengthens me. This is how Paul can face plenty and how he can be in need. is because Christ is at work in him, strengthening him to face whatever he faces. Paul has this notion going on all the time in his letters. For example, in the book of Colossians, he talks about all the energy of Christ that so powerfully works within him. Earlier in the book of Philippians, he, he wrote to them about how God works in them to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's, he's very aware of God and his power through Christ. And so he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That word, I can, I can do, is, again, just one word in the original. And it literally means to have strength, power, and might, to have the, the resources to prevail, to overcome. And notice Paul is not saying, I have this in and of myself. I have this because it comes to me through Jesus. And so the idea is this. I can endure and overcome anything and everything, not on my own, but rather through Christ who strengthens me. My friends, do you catch what he's saying? He's not intending this just to be his own secret. <laughs> he's writing this to the Philippians because he wants them to learn that secret. And as we listen to this letter, get the privilege of reading it and studying it together, Paul would want us to learn how we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us to learn that secret of contentment. In the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was talking again about his own weakness, and he's talking about this time in his life when he pleaded with the Lord three times to take away what he called this thorn in the flesh, and we're not really sure what that was. There's different theories about it, but whatever it was, it was, it was not pleasant for him to have. And so he pleads with the Lord three times, and God says, I'm not going to take it away. 
And so Paul says this. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, Paul, I'm sorry, God allows something to, to happen in Paul's life that, that just caused him to plead with the Lord to take it away. And God said, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul, instead of getting bitter, says, okay, I'm going to learn how to be content with this weakness. I'm going to boast, actually, of my weakness. I'm going to boast of, of the condition I find myself in right now. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. There's that word. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My friends, there are going to be times in your life when God is going to say to you, I'm going to ask you to become more weak. There are being times in, in our lives when circumstances will be such that we don't want to be in them. And we can think about how much we would like to be outside of them. And sometimes God brings those to an end quickly. But sometimes they linger. And at least one of the things he's doing, and I'm not even saying this is the reason why it happened. I'm saying that one of the things that God is doing in the midst of this is he's inviting you to learn how weak you are in and of yourself so that you can understand how much Christ's power can work in you. So the secret to being content in any and every situation is having the ability to endure all things through Christ, who not only is with me, but also empowers me to do so. So just a couple points of application. Let's plug into Christ and into his power. You and I probably almost have this default position. It's not necessarily conscious. But, but we try to live the Christian life in our own power. We have this idea that we should become mature enough to the point where we don't have to depend on Christ anymore. Like, kind of like a baby when you're, the baby, the toddler's learning how to walk. He gets to this point where you don't need him to, to kind of guide him. He can do it on his own strength. And, and we think the Christian life is a lot like that. I should get to the point where I don't need Christ's power. I don't need his strength. I can do it on my own. My friends, that is faulty thinking. God will never call us to do anything in our own strength. Nothing. Not even get out of bed in your own strength. And so to plug into Christ and to his power is to plug into the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not that Jesus is standing at a distance just watching us and saying, go for it, I hope you do all right. He loved you and gave himself for you. Not only to forgive you of your sins, to reconcile you to himself, but that he might empower you to do the very things that he calls you to do. Remember, he says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Earlier in that song, Abide, we're intentionally echoing the words of Jesus in John chapter 15 when he said, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you catch that? Jesus says to his original disciples, and by extension to us, apart from me, you cannot do anything. Why would he say that? Number one, because it's true. And number two, because he wants us to learn how to abide in him. 
to tap into his power. You think about a vine and a branch. Jesus calls himself the vine, we are the branches. The only way that branch can thrive is if the life of the vine is pouring into it. And you and I need that power of Christ pouring into us, energizing us. And so that's why Jesus calls us to abide in him. So that's the first point of application. Let's, let's plug into Christ and into his power. Here's the second point of application. Let's enroll in Christ's school of contentment. Now, that's actually kind of worded awkwardly because we are already enrolled in that school, whether we know it or not. We are, we're, we're meant to understand that, that we need to learn this and that everything that happens to us in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is meant to teach us to be content in Christ. Remember that, that phrase that Paul said here, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What is implied with that phrase, I have learned? It's not native, right? At one point, he didn't know it. He didn't know how to be content. But now he has learned it, and now he knows how to be content. You and I need that as well. Sometimes we need it when unexpected tax bills come, the transmission falls out of the car, the air conditioning needs to be replaced. But sometimes we need to learn contentment, not when everything's going bad, but when everything is going well, right? Think about what Jesus said. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Ness. <laughs> covetousness. -ness. Did I say that right? You know what I'm saying. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's a sense in which abundance. Remember Paul said, I, I learned, I, I know how to abound. There's a sense in which abundance can be deceiving. We can have everything going right. Money in the bank account, everything thriving, relationships where everything's going great. And we need to be careful in those situations. The writer to the Hebrews put it like this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul, 1 Timothy writes these words, godliness, that is, being like Jesus, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we have brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. He says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, I love that phrase, through this craving. What kind of craving? Craving for more money, for more abounding. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. How have they pierced themselves with many pains? And they're craving for more and more. They've lost touch with Christ. And surrounded by all their toys and all their wealth and all their retirement accounts, they pierce themselves because they're far from Christ. Again, Dennis Johnson, his commentary was, was very insightful. He said, money, get this, money and what it can buy 
can be as addictive as narcotics. The more you have, the more you feel you need in order to get the same high. For many of us, the challenge is not to be content when we have nothing. After all, we have never had nothing. The challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than we want. Isn't that interesting? Oh man, I needed to hear this so badly. <laughs> it can be kind of addictive just to surf Amazon and just click, click, click and get it there in the next day, right? The challenge is to be content when we have more than we need, but less than what we want. Paul tells us we need to learn how to abound. We need to, to learn how to be content when everything is going well. Again, in 1 Timothy, he says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to put their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We've talked about this before, my friends, right? We are among the richest people in the world. The top 5% if you make more than 30000 a year. I certainly felt the uncertainty of riches over this past month. I was putting my hope in what I could manage, what I could pay, what I could control in life. And that control is taken from me. And so we panic. We become cynical. We become jaded. We become desperate. Or we can learn to be content. In fact, that's what Paul said. I have learned. I know. I know. I have learned. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That book I referred to a while ago, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Jeremiah Burroughs says, to be well-skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty, glory, and excellence of a Christian. I don't know about you, but I want to be well-skilled in this mystery of Christian contentment, don't you? So let me encourage you to to take this verse from Paul, this very well-known And slow it down and just pick it apart and meditate on each little word and phrase in it. This is a good thing to do from time to time, especially when we find ourselves being discontent with whatever it is that God has put in front of us. So that first point of application was let's plug into Christ and his power. The second one was let's enroll in Christ's school of contentment, which probably should have been worded, let's let's say we need to learn contentment. And here's the final one. Let's remember that the best is yet to come. Earlier I asked the question, what if it is possible to have contentment even in the midst of the worries of life, unfulfilled desires, and shattered dreams? We've seen from the Apostle Paul that that is indeed entirely possible. Why? Did Paul have everything he wanted sitting in prison? I'm sure that he would like to have been out. But he learned contentment in it. He would write to the Romans these words, I consider that our present sufferings, I'm sorry, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He wasn't even in prison when he wrote those things. How much more so would he echo those words sitting in prison? I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he doesn't say that it's nothing. 
But he says they're just not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. They are something, but when you put it next to what is to come, the great reversal, the renewal of all things, there's no comparison. He would go on and say, you know, I'm sorry, we know, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I've shared this quote with you from Alan Redpath, but I thought it would be wise to, to bring it to your attention again. He writes, There is no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. And if it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. Isn't that good? Just a few moments, we're going to put into practice a way of trusting God in the midst of everything. We're going to sing this song, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. I want to highlight just this one stanza. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. What amazing words. We're going to sing those in just a moment as we take these words of the Apostle Paul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and to turn it into prayer and praise. Mercy Hill Church, may you learn the secret of contentment in any and every situation, knowing you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.